much. Good morning, Rebirth. Granville, I think uh, you have preached the message. <laughs> Catch a wake up indeed. It's amazing when God speaks, speaks loudly, G. Thank you, my helper. This morning, we continue on with the book of Ephesians. Pastor Bevan has so eloquently laid the foundation um, for us and we continue on with the series in Ephesians. Um, we've gone through chapters 1 and 2. We're heading now into chapters 3 as well. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We hear you, Lord. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. You've done a finished work on the cross for us. You require a response from us. You require that we serve you in spirit and in truth. So this morning, we confess that we are sinners. In thought, word, and deed, we are not worthy but for the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and above all for your love that you have for us. I pray this morning that you lead me in your word. Use me as a vessel this morning, Father, pliable in your hands so that what comes forth is from you and not from man. Father, I pray for the hearts that will hear your word. Father, I pray that this word would be implanted deeply into fertile ground. Father, we do the planting and the watering, but we know it's you that brings the increase. So we trust and have faith that, Lord, this too will be achieved in Jesus Christ name we pray amen and amen so thank you and good morning again rebirth like i said moving into the book of uh, ephesians and right off the bat i'm going to go into the author um, of ephesians the pastor bev does this have a pointer yes. one of these two let's see that way <laughs> that helps okay thanks so much so um, talking about the author of Ephesians it was a letter or epistle attributed to the Apostle Paul and he actually wrote the epistle from jail would you believe okay he was in prison at the time in Rome so it's also called a row a, a prison epistle along with other epistles that were also written in prison that of Philippians Colossians and Philemon so Paul wrote most of the New Testament 13 of those books is what he wrote out of 27 
All right? So he was fully invested in spreading the gospel. These are some of the books that he's written. Romans 1 and uh, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. In all of these books, you'll also find the greeting that he, he generally starts with, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's already giving you a hint into the theme in Ephesus, okay? A gift of grace and an outcome of peace, okay? And that also speaks to where he was in his own spiritual life, being given the gift of grace and being totally at peace. And if you know some of the trials and tribulations that Paul has had in his life, this peace is everything to him. All right, so the audience and also the purpose um, of the book, Ephesians is addressed to the Christians at Ephesus, but some uh, scholars do also argue that the letter or the epistle was a cyclical letter because in some of the earlier manuscripts in Ephesians does not actually appear there. So there is the argument that maybe it was written to a lot of churches in that particular region, Ephesians being one of them. So the epistle itself did not address any specific problem, but did explain some of the profound themes and doctrines of Christianity. And then we'll go into the location of Ephesus, and you'll see on screen that Ephesus is on the west coast of what was Asia Minor at that time, modern-day Turkey um, right now. It was the capital of that particular region. It was also a major convergence center for commerce, culture, and worship, and it was situated at the intersection of major roads coming from north to south and east to west as well. Okay, Ephesus was literally also the doorway to the Asia interior. So we had, so it was the doorway to this Asia interior here. We had people coming from Egypt, from Italy, Rome, from Greece, um, from Persia, which is basically southwest Iran today. We had all of these people converging onto Ephesus here. Right? So you can see it played a major role in where it was. We had all of these people converging on the different people from different places, so lots of different culture in the city of Ephesus. We can also see that it probably wasn't the easiest place to begin the gospel with all of these. So it was not an easy place. Many temples were found in the city of Ephesus. Many temples. Some of these, um, over 50 temples, were there for the worship of the emperor, worship also of um, Artemis. This is the temple of Artemis. Ephesus means desirable. And we can see by the temple of Artemis, 
how extravagant they were in idol worship. They took idol worship very serious. And like I said, they had over 50 other deities that they worshipped as well. This temple of Artemis was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So this is one of the, the gods that they worshipped at the time, the goddess Artemis, the Greek goddess known as the Virgin Archer or Huntress, as you can see on the left-hand side, and a deity associated with nature, animals, and fertility on the right-hand side. Um, you can see those breast-like features that the one on the, on the, on the right had. So they had a god for, for, for every type of um, occasion, like you can see, associated with na nature, animals, um, and fertility as well. She, Diana, was thought to be the, or said to be, the twin sister of the god Apollo, who was the sun god, the god of healing, the god of prophecy, the god of poetry and music, the protector of crops and herds. Can you see why this place needed one god representing all of those things? Jesus. Jesus. So the epistle is, um, that was just an extra one on that. We can shut it down from there, Leila. I'll use the others later if I get there. So the epistle was also sometimes called the queen of the epistles and a complete body of divinity. So Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2 verses 9 to, uh, to 10, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has the heart comprehended what the good things or the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Okay? But God has revealed these things through his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. So Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is literally a, a what's the word? It's literally a fulfillment of that in 1 Corinthians 2 verses 9 to 10. It reveals the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Yes. And that's why it's called the complete body of divinity. So, <laughs> studying the book of Ephesians will change you. Yeah. It'll change you in terms of what God has done, what God has already done for us. Yeah. The structure is naturally divided into two parts. Okay? It's divided into theology and also the application. The first three verses... Generally, the theme is unity in Christ, and from 4 to 6, unity in the church. Also can be said to the first three churches, what God has done for you, what God is doing, what he's already done, and what he's going to do in the future. Okay, And then the rest is what is required from us, a response is required. Pastor Bevan eloquently said or spoke about indicatives and imperatives. So also based on what God has done for you, you were in the dark, you were dead, 
You have now been made alive and into the light. Indicative. Imperative, what is required because what of what God has actually done? A response is required. One of my favorite expositors also breaks it down further into three different parts where he talks about the wealth that you receive, and I'm going to say this, in Christ, because a lot of us want access to the wealth, but we don't want access to Christ. We get the walk of the Christian that is described, and then with all of these things comes warfare. We are not entering into playing games. The devil is serious about stealing, killing, and destroying. Okay, this is not child's play where we say, I say yes to God and I just continue living my life from there. Okay, so let's do a quick recap of the first two chapters before we get into our reading in the third chapter this morning. So I'm going to just break it down for you. In chapter 1, as we navigate, you'll begin to immediately notice how God-centric and how Christ-centric Paul actually is. In verse 3, he immediately goes on to, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he immediately acknowledges and praises God. Continuing from verse 3 all the way to verse 14, there's immediate reference to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then also what God's plan for salvation is. If we look at uh, chapter 1, verses 4, he chose us, right? This refers to election and is in the past. God has already chosen us. Okay, this is the plan of salvation. In verse 7, we see that in him we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Present, okay? Present. In verse 11, we have, an obta- we have obtained an inheritance in the Father. Okay? This is in the future um, also based on what we are doing. So what Christ has done for us. From chapters 3 to 14, there is an emphasis. Remember, like I said, you have got to accept what Christ has done for you. So there is wealth associated with that. There's wealth associated with that. I'm going to give you a couple of points that I've taken out of that particular passage, and it goes like this, found in chapter 1 all the way 3 to 14. So he's blessed us with every spiritual gift. He chose us, which talks to election, okay? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And uh, Pastor Bevan spoke about that as well. Can you, can you just imagine the love of God? Even before he spoke the first word, he knew about you and I. The love of God. He predestined us to adoptions, to adoption as sons by Christ, Jesus Christ to himself. He accepted us in the beloved. This is the wealth that you and I have access to. He's redeemed us through his blood. He's given us 
the option for the forgiveness of sins. He's made known to us the mystery of His will through revelation. He's given us revelation. In Him we have also obtained an inheritance. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And the Holy Spirit's seal is one of authority, one of authenticity, and one of ownership. We come into those things once we have made a decision for Christ. We have a guarantee of inheritance through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. That is the wealth that you and I have access to when we really and truly tap into Christ. When we really and truly tap into Christ, when we call on Him, when we worship Him, when we seek Him, He will manifest Himself. But we need to do it in spirit and in truth. From salvation, from you accepting Christ, there needs to be a journey. There needs to be a journey. You cannot say the prayer of acceptance and there's no change. This is our God. This is our God. In chapters 50, or, or rather verses 15 to 19 of chapter 1, Paul additionally prays that the believers be equipped with these things. So he realizes that they are in Christ, but he's praying now that there's extras that are added to this. And let's do an audit on ourselves. Are we progressing in the faith? Okay. He says that the believer, he prays that the believer be equipped with these things. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of of who God is, in the knowledge of Him. If, we, if our spirit acknowledges who God is, how can we still be the same? How can we still be the same? He also prays that the eyes of the believer's understanding be enlightened, that the scales fall off of our eyes exactly like happened to him on the road to Damascus. I was blind, but now I see. He prays also that the believer, for, or for the believer, to know what is the hope of his calling. His hope in Jesus Christ. To know what are the riches of his glory or of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And also to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. I dare say... That if Paul's prayer becomes reality in our own lives, we will not walk lives of defeat. Our reality will not be a life of deceit. In fact, we will have a paradigm shift in our lives. If we have that growth and intimacy. You see, Paul is talking about a journey of maturity. Here's my challenge and my question to you. Since you've received the Lord, where are you from where you were to where you are right now? Has anything changed? Has there been a paradigm shift in your life? Has the reality of who God is 
become your reality. This is the God of the universe. If you are still the same, are you saved? This is the question. If you are still the same after a, a, an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Chapter 2. Chapter 2 defines a transition from where you were in sin to where you are in Christ. These adjectives are spoken about when you were in the past without Christ. It says that you were dead in trespasses and sin. You were disobedient. You fulfilled the desires of flesh and mind, and we also conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. We were children of wrath, is how we were described without Christ. And then in verse 4, don't you just love that portion of Scripture that says, but God. Come on. We were lost, we were dead, to be that that little ring thing that you were talking about what is that thing what did you call it it's called a heaving ring it's called a heaving ring that of what pastor bevan said we weren't just about getting there we weren't good enough we were dead we were under the waters when that heaving ring was thrown to us for salvation verse 4 says but god god intervened in your situation so where are or what is the transition in your current life we are alive together with with christ we are saved by grace we are no longer far off but we are brought near by the blood of christ and we will get into what exactly that means so let's move on to chapter three and we're going to get uh, into some back and forth this morning. <clears throat> Amen? Amen. Right. Our reading this morning comes from uh, chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verses 1 to verses 7. It's uh, the superscript in my Bible t uh, t titles it, The Mystery Revealed. For this reason I... Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So, verse 1 starts with this line, for this reason. So, for this reason. So, he's talking about 
There's something behind him that is already discussed. Could also be termed therefore. Okay, so when he says therefore, if we had started this or a particular letter, we would not have just continued from therefore. If this letter is being given to you and there's a therefore, you would have said, hang on, what came before that? All right, so if we go back to chapter 2 and look at verses 12 to 13. 12 to 13 says, That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So in a nutshell, the Gentiles were double alienated at this point in time. They were alienated from Israel and they were also alienated from God himself. And then after the death um, and resurrection of Christ, they now have a double reconcili reconciliation back to, or to, to, the, to the Israel and to God. So through Christ's death and resurrection, the Jew, Gentile, and God-man barriers were demolished. Okay? A new multicultural society, the church, was born. This church is the church which God loves and the temple in which God lives. If we go back to chapter 3, so this is what Paul is referring to when he's saying, therefore. If we go back to chapter 3, we've got Paul now going on further to say, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ. Now, interesting, because we all know Paul was in prison because of the Romans. Yeah. Paul is saying, hang on, I know that's what you're seeing in the natural. With natural eyes, I am a prisoner of the Romans. It's, it's very important that the people at Ephesus understand this because they need to know that um, this is not defeat. Yes. God is not defeated. Where I am is God's providence. Where I am is God's wisdom. Where I am is part of God's plan. So Paul is speaking from a point of spiritual eyes. Remember, the scales have fallen off of Paul's eyes. He used to be Saul. He is now Paul. What's your name? So Paul called himself a prisoner of Christ, placing the sovereignty of God over the affairs and the agendas of men. Men might have put him in prison, but he wasn't there for their agenda. So Paul's purpose in Christ actually overshadows anything. You've got to listen to this. Paul's purpose in Christ overshadows anything that he is going through in his natural life. Do you know how profound this is? 
He is saying, I am, the reality is I am writing to you from prison. I'm under house arrest. I'm chained at night to a God. But Paul's reality is, hey, if you are chained to me, I will preach to you. This is furtherance of the gospel. Where I am is where God says I must be. I am among the Gentiles. That job that you have, that you are complaining about, should I be here? Why am I here? Oh, these people that are there. You have been sent to be the light of the world. You have been sent to be the salt of the earth. Paul suffered so many things in his natural life. Shipwrecked, beaten, um, naked, hungry, cold, bitten by snakes. All these funny things. And yet he says, I'm doing this for the gospel. I'm in prison for the gospel. I ask you this morning, we all go through things. We all go through trials and tribulations, but in the midst of that trial and that tribulation is our default, God is on the throne. Is our default, I'm going through this, but God's providence is at work in my life. What I am going through, Lord, I'm not walking through the valley of the shadow of death alone. But remember, remember, there was something that was called in Christ. You cannot lie to yourself when you are going through things and say, I am not walking through this alone. I am not going through this alone. But where is your commitment to Christ? Where is the change? Where is the seeking? What is the reality? Paul's reality is that he is a prisoner for Christ amidst all of this turmoil that's happening in his life at this point. He then goes to, on further to say, for you Gentiles. Okay? Paul was jailed as a consequence of this message, this mandate that he has, this love that he has for the Gentiles. So we remember that uh, Dr. Luke had written about in Acts, in Acts 19, that there was uh, almost a riot that was going to be broke, uh, broken out in the city of Ephesus. And why was that? Because Paul's message of the way was being totally disruptive. It was threatening the livelihoods of the people in that city. We remember Demetrius, the silversmith, they used to make loads of money making little trinkets of the goddess of Diana. Here Paul comes in with the message of the way saying, Diana is not the way. Do you know that when you speak the gospel of the true God, it affects the atmosphere. It affects the surroundings. Things cannot remain the same. This is what was happening in Ephesus. So there was a revolt. Something was, when you are preaching the true way, there is going to be opposition in your life. But what is your mindset at that point in time? Come on. When you are going through what you are going through, are we? Why me? Yeah. 
Why not you? This is for the gospel. This, for, this is for the furtherance of the kingdom. This is not about you and I. It is with, with honor that we serve the Lord. So Paul is in, in jail for the Gentiles. They actually then eventually jailed him, we see, because they actually thought that he had taken one of the unclean, trophimous Gentiles into the sacred temple, where there should have been separation. So we see that for the Gentile is very real. Paul could have been doing a gospel of convenience and like, Lord, I can speak about you, but... This Gentile thing, man, this Gentile thing is, 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 is a little bit over the top. Yeah. It's a little bit, I'll tell, I'll tell them about you just, just in, in silent, like convenient, but where are you sending me to now could get me in trouble. Yeah. Paul was all in for the gospel, for the good news. Are we all in with the gospel that we've been entrusted with? Or are we after a gospel of convenience? Are we after a Sunday gospel? Let's hear a bit of word. Let's have some cake and tea. And let's go back to our normal lives. In verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul said, For this reason, now... It could be said that Paul was about to pray and then diverted from praying because we see in verse 1 he says, for this reason, and then diverts down a road and then comes back to a prayer in chapter 14 and then says, for this reason, and then goes into a prayer. So what actually is this diversion? That he takes. What is this off-ramp that Paul takes at this point in time? He breaks away to describe the unique privileges of God that has been given to him for this particular mandate. Okay, He describes this. In verse 3, he states that this dispensation, and this dispensation, basically another word for that is stewardship. Okay. The stewardship of the grace of God was given to him by revelation from God. And then the second part that he describes um, with regards to, to the unique privileges of God is found in verse 7 where it says he became a minister. And I'm not talking about the title. Okay. Talking about servanthood. Servanthood. I know many, many people these days are after the title, but not after the service. Okay, so if we look at the revelation from God being the gift, and then him becoming the minister was actually the commission by God. Now, the gift from God plus the commission from God requires a responsibility or, in, or puts a responsibility on us. So the gift from God, the servanthood or the minister or being called a minister of God or the commission of God then 
brings on responsibility. And I'm going to break that word up to say response-ability. You have the ability to choose. The responsibility is there. You have the ability to choose whether to become the elect or not. I like the way one of the expositors put this, you know, because there is the argument as to elect or not elect. He says, if when you die and you end up in hell, you are not part of the elect. If you die and go to heaven, you were a part of the elect. And he puts it so simply, basically, um, in, in, in the way I understand it, Choose wisely. Choose wisely. You have the ability to choose. Now let's get into our topic today, which was the mystery of grace. The mystery of grace. In chapter 3, the word mystery is used three times from verses 1 to 13. Now, hey, I don't know, and you must help me here. Maybe... It was the rough week that I've heard. Some commentaries talk about uh, it being used four times, and I, I think I counted about five or six times, and I went slowly, but I could only find three. So I'm saying this, maybe I was that tired. There might be three, there might be four. All right, so the, the word mystery is used a couple of times from verse 1 to verse 13. I remember growing up, and uh, I was telling Gigi about this in the week, Growing up, my parents gave me a library card, and that was one of the greatest gifts that I'd gotten. Um, I went and frequented the, the, the library, and I loved um, the series, The Hardy Boys. Marky, I'm sure you'll remember The Hardy Boys. Yes, 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 we're talking age now, people. So, The Hardy Boys were always... The, the, the ladies will remember, I think, Nancy Drew. Hazel, you, you were there, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, and there was always some sinister plot that they were trying to uncover. Some mystery that was going on, something dark. So, in English, mystery refers to something that is dark, obscure, secret, or puzzling. Not so for the Greek. The Greek word mysterion is slightly different. It talks to a truth that is hidden from uh, human knowledge or understanding, but is now revealed or disclosed by the revelation of God. Okay, so it's a truth that is hidden from human knowledge or understanding, but now revealed or disclosed by the revelation of God. It's no longer guarded, but open. So, what was this mystery of, of grace? Verses uh, 4 to 5 um, in chapter 3 starts talking about this mystery of Christ that was hidden from human knowledge. And then it is revealed in verse 6. Let me see. Verse 6, verse 6. It says, so this is the, the, the mystery of Christ that is now being revealed, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise 
in Christ through the gospel. Now, we can read this today and be like, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine this letter being read out loud to those who were always outcast? Can you imagine what they, they, they might have been elated, they might have been wowed, but they might have also been disbelief, like, what are you talking about? We've, what? He says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. This is the mystery. The mystery concerns Christ and his one people, the Jewish and the Gentile. Okay? Paul declares this, that the Gentiles and Jewish Christians together now are fellow heirs of the same blessing. They are fellow members of the same body and they are fellow partakers of the same promise. This is what we, we are the Gentiles. This is what we are walking in. This should be stirring up something in our spirits. These are the promises of God. So the mystery of Christ is the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through union of both with Christ. So we literally come into the promises and the oneness of God where we come into that covenant in Christ is what is being said. The mystery was now uncovered and revealed uh, or the mystery that was the mystery is now uncovered and revealed and is now a common possession of the local church. And we see um, it was made known by revelation to Paul in verse 3 made known to the holy apostles and prophets in verse 5 and in Colossians, which is a parallel book which was also written at this time, we see that the mystery was made known to the saints in Colossians 1 verses 26. Now there was a bit of back and forth with these scholars with regards to why is this a mystery? Because the re uh, reference to the Gentiles and a plan for the Gentiles was spoken about in the Old Testament. So they were like, uh, okay, but what's, I don't understand what, what's going on here. So if we look at Isaiah 42.1 and Isaiah 49.6, it speaks of the Messiah and justice and light coming to the Gentiles. Jesus himself also said or commissioned these followers to go out and disciple them. So there was reference to this of a plan for the Gentiles. But the breaking down of what we are hearing here today, the disruptive plan of what was going to happen for the Gentiles was not known. Okay? It was not revealed that the theocracy rule would be terminated. The, the, the uh, Jewish nation under God's control, that dispensation would be terminated and the, the, the dispensation of the church 
would come into play. This new, diverse, international community that is serving as one to be a light to the world. Okay? So the church has now been commissioned to be the light of the world in unity. Is that the face of the church that we are seeing today is our question. So the church is one that should be, that must be, that has a responsibility to be the symbol of peace and unity in Christ Jesus to all the powers that be both natural and spiritual. I want to read to you something from a book that I've been reading that just to, to put into perspective. Uh, Paul was writing uh, to us to, to give us the gravity of what Christ has done for us. To give us the gravity of, you know, like we say all the time, God is good. What really is your reality of the goodness of God? This mystery of grace that has made us all inclusive. Do we know how profile, profound this gift is? But we still struggle with, do I really want to serve the Lord? I was reading a book by A.W. Tozer. It's called The Pursuit of God. I quoted some stuff from here which puts things into perspective. So he quoted Wesley. There's a, there's a part in here, okay, I'll get to it now. He quoted Wesley, orthodoxy or right opinion is at best a very slender part of religion. So now he's going to use a word called tempers, okay, tempers, not, not fighting tempers, but an action or disposition or a frequency you're feeling towards. Okay, so he says, right tempers cannot exist without right opinions. Yet, right opinions may exist without right tempers. There might be a right opinion of God without either love or one right temper toward him. Satan is proof of this. Thanks to our splendid Bible societies and to other effective agencies for the dissemination of the word, there are today many millions of people who hold right opinions, probably more than ever before in the history of the church. Yet, I wonder if there was ever a time where true spiritual worship was at a lower ebb. To great sections of the church, the art of worship has been lost entirely. And in its place has come that strange and foreign thing called the program. This word has been borrowed from the stage and applied with sad wisdom to the type of public service which now passes for worship amongst us. Sound biblical exposition is an imperative must in the church of the living God. 
Without it, no church can be a New Testament church in any strict meaning of that term. But exposition may be carried on in such a way to leave the hearers devoid of any spiritual nourishment whatsoever. For it is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself. And unless and until the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not the better for having heard the truth. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him and that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the sweet the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. That is exactly what Paul was praying earlier on for that walk to maturity, to experience who God is. And once again, the question is, are we advancing from where we were to where we are today? If God has provided the gift of grace and love to us, and we choose not to respond, there is only judgment left. God has already done everything. It is a finished work on the cross. There is a responsibility required from you. You have the ability to choose. That is God's love. He's given you and I the ability to choose. Pastor Bevan spoke about it in terms of uh, the different quadrants of people saved, people unsaved, and all of that. If you have not chosen, if you have not made a choice, you are unsaved. It's pretty clear, right? What about when you are saved but unsaved? What about when we are living lives of everybody knows I look good on the outside, everybody knows I portray to be good on the outside? How, does, how do we get to a point where God says, depart from me, I know you not, and we start saying, but Lord, I did, I did, I did. Saved but unsaved. You see, this is it. It's, and this is what it's talking about where, where he says, you might have an opinion of who God is, but that's not enough. That's not enough. What he's actually saying here is, you, 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 it's not okay that you profess to know God. Does God know you? This is the question. Does God know who you are? It doesn't matter how we pretend in front of each other. It doesn't matter. We can sit here and say, Amen. Hallelujah. We can sit here and profess to, 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 to do all of these things. But do we know who God is? Are we going to get to a place where we have to argue and say, but Lord, how can you say this? I've done A, B, and C. It's not by our works. It's not by our works. We've been made for good works 
through Christ, not through Clint. There's an analogy that a preacher used that goes like this, which I thought was quite profound. Um, he says, can you imagine you are the guest preacher at a particular venue, everybody's waiting for you, and you rock up there um, late, you rock up there on your time, and they say to you, but what is this about? You know, we've prepared all of this, everybody's waiting for you, why are you late? And he says, ah, hold on, hold on, hold on, I've got a good reason. I've got a good reason. Um, on the way here, I actually had a flat tire. And uh, when I was changing the flat tire, um, it, it, uh, the tire rolled into the, into the road. I, I ran after the tire, and this huge logging truck weighing 60 tons came down. It rolled over me, um, and, 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 but um, I'm here now. So the ones who were accepting him said to him, that's ludicrous. What do you mean? How could you have an encounter with this 60-ton truck and come out looking all the same? The question is, how much bigger is God than a 60-ton truck? We have an encounter with God and we come out exactly the same. The world cannot see the difference between the world out there and you and I in here. We've come to a place where we, we, we conform so much. We take so much in that we're like, it's, it's, it's okay. It's not so bad. God doesn't even know what, what the difference between the world and us is anymore. We have access to the God of gods, the one and only God. How can we come out if we are seeking him in spirit and in truth, the mystery of the grace of the gospel? How can we come out and still say, uh, nothing much has changed. No, I just, I've made an ex a, 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 a decision for the Lord. No, nothing much has changed. I continue with my life. This is the question. This, 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 which, which, is, which, is, which is said that Many people say over and over and over, oh, I have a new relationship with the Lord. But do you have a new relationship with sin? Yeah. Are you feeling that, you know what, that, are you repenting daily? Are you, are, are, are you bothered by sin? And if you are not, are you saved? Is the question this mystery of grace that has been given to us is huge but we treat it I can get it next week I can get it when I feel like getting time is promised to no man my prayer this morning to us all is that daily daily we walk in this daily we walk in what God has done for us we have a responsibility to respond to what God has done in love for us. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you this morning just for your reminder of what you have done, what you've given up for us on the cross. Lord, this morning... We just come before you
exposed. We come before you to say that we are not worthy. We come before you to, to repent of the way that we've been and for the things that we've done and for the way that we live our lives. Father, you've given us the keys to life and we treat it so casually. We repent even for that this morning. Father, hear our hearts, hear our cries this morning. We want to know you. Father, we seek after you and we ask, O oh Lord, for that personal relationship of change to become our portion. We pray that, Lord, that prayer that, that Paul prayed for the believers might become our portion, that our eyes, the scales in our eyes be taken off for the good things that you have done. Father, we thank you for your love, for your grace this morning. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us on the cross of Calvary. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. Amen. Amen. Can we stand?